probably, I would say of all the topics we're going to talk about, probably the one that, I don't want to say nervous, but like I'm the most, you know, yeah, I think the most careful about. Um, and it's a topic that we are all being constantly um, bombarded with every day, and that is the topic of racism and social justice. Now, when we talk about racism and social justice, it can be even like it can be even when I say that, I know some of you are like, mm, right? Like I just feel you feel uncomfortable. And I think one thing uh, that is a problem is that if we as Christians run from a topic like this then we render ourselves useless, right? And what we're seeing today is we're seeing society doing its best to solve an issue that the church was designed to fix. And because the church is not stepping up in its role of being peacemakers in the world and showing everybody how we are unified by the blood of Christ, because we are not doing that, the world is trying to do it it on its own, and it's going crazy. So when we talk about racism and social justice, here's what we're not going to talk about tonight. We're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about my opinion or your opinion. We're going to talk about what is going on in the world and what does the Bible have to say. And how do we as Christians, how do we engage in a conversation with somebody so in a way that is, one, uplifting, encouraging, but also is pointing people in the direction of Christ? So with that, we would all acknowledge that racism is a sin. I think it would be wrong of me to be able to go any further into this message without first saying that, that racism is a sin, a sin that without a doubt has been condemned inside and outside of the church. However, the question we have to ask ourselves is why is racism a sin? See, we would all acknowledge that racism is a sin. Like, you grow up from a, little, from, a, from a child hearing in school how racism is a sin. And hopefully from your parents and hopefully in society, this is something that is one of the few things that both culture and the church widely agree is evil and wicked. But we have to ask ourselves, why is it a sin? It's important for us to understand what makes something a sin in general. Not just racism, but what makes anything a sin? Why is anything sinful? And ultimately... What sin is, is sin is deviating from God's original design. See, when God, has, when God created the world, he had a perfect design of it. He had a design for everything. He had a design for relationships. He had a design for uh, sex. He had a design for gender. He had a design for uh, ethnicity and language. And he had a design for all of these different things. And when we, as, uh, when we deviate from the design that God has given us, that is sin. God is the creator of all things, and when we depart from the creator's designs, it is a sin against the creator and against ourselves. With this in mind, in order for us to understand why racism is a sin, we need to first understand what is God's design for creating ethnicity and race. Does that make sense? See, if we're going to say that sin is deviating from God's design and racism is a sin, then we need to see what is God's design in creating race and ethnicity. Right? And Pastor Allen mentioned it last week when we talk about race. Really, there's only one race, and that's the human race. But really, in what we're talking about race today, really what it boils down to the color of your skin, which is ridiculous, that that is something that divides people, and our ethnicity. 
Right, so I'm going to use the term ethnicity and color of our skin and race. I'm going to kind of use those terms interchangeably a little bit tonight. So here's the thing is we have to see what is the original design in God creating ethnicity. And ultimately, one, it's to reflect his image. Genesis 1, 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We see that all people are made in the image of God. Now, we're going to dive into this topic deeper as we go along, but, you know, but we need to drill this into our mind, is that all people have intrinsic value because they bear the image of God. Does that make sense? That the, all people, whether they look like you, sound like you, talk like you, or not, have intrinsic value because they are made in the image of God. White, black, purple, green, Yellow, whatever, all have been made in the image of God. And here's the question, why would God do this? Why would God make us to bear his image? Why would God make us? Because here's the thing, you know who's not made in the image of God? Animals, trees, stars, mountains, oceans. Of all of God's creation, only one aspect of his creation was made bearing his image, and that is humanity. So why would God make us to bear his image? And the, the answer to that is simple, is that God did this for his own glory. One thing that is going to, that's going to help you in life is if anybody asks you, why does God do blank? You can answer pretty much that. You can answer that question pretty much every single time. God does it for his own glory. Now, that leads to the obvious question of, okay, well, how does that glorify him? And then you can work that out on your own. But ultimately, everything God does is for his glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Isaiah 43.7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So here's what the Bible is teaching us. This is what Paul is saying here, what Isaiah said in chapter 43 of Isaiah, is that these verses are saying that God made everything by himself for himself. This includes you and me. You see, you and I are made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of life. You want to know what is the purpose of me being on this earth? Why is there breath in my lungs? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The focus of your life is to worship God and to bring him glory and to reflect his goodness. Remember, if you read the story of creation, God made everything and he said that it was good, right? The first, you know, he's, God said, let there be light. And he saw that the light was good. And then there's animals. He said it was good. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. That was not in the correct order, but you know what I'm trying to go, right? Everything was good. But when he made humanity, what did he say? It is, it is very good, right? When he made all these other things, he said it was good. But when he made humanity, he said it was very good. And the question is, why? Why was humanity very good? What is the difference between us and the rest of creation? I mean, if all of creation was created for the purpose of glorifying God, that's what he says in Psalm 19, is that the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything that God created was for his glory, not just us. But the question is, why is our glory to God different than the glory of God given by the animals in creation? What's the difference? The difference is that when we worship God, we are the only creatures that have the ability to reflect back to God his own image. You see that? 
We were made in the image of God. So when we worship God, now I'm not saying that you are equivalent to God. I'm not saying that you are as good as God. But what I'm saying is, is that when we worship, we are the image bearers of God, giving, reflecting back to him his glory. That is what we were created to do. So I must understand that God's intention for ethnicity and race is for his own glory. The reason we have people who look different and act different and are from different cultures and societies is for God's glory. Now, if I was made for God's glory and everything that God does is for his glory, then that must also mean that everything that God does is for my good as well. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So follow me. I'm, I'm going down a train of thought here, okay? Everything God does is good. All right, so follow me, follow me here, all right? This is, we're putting our thinking caps on, okay? This is like, you know, this is like, we're, we're dialed in, all right? We're dialed in. God made, God made man in his image. God made everything and everyone to glorify him. As his image bearers, we were designed to reflect his image back to him in an act of worship. Everything that God does is also for your good. This means that everything God does for your good is also meant to be used for his glory. Likewise, your ethnicity and your race were intentionally created for the specific purpose of glorifying God that way, the way that he made you. Your skin color, your ethnicity, and your language are tools that God has given you to reflect God's glory back to him. Do you see that? That... Your ethnicity is a tool that God has blessed you with to reflect his glory back to him. Now keep that in mind, because now we talked about God's design for ethnicity. What is it? It's for his glory. We were created for his glory, to glorify him. Now we're going to see the sin of racism, right? Keep that in mind, because what is racism? According to the Oxford English Dictionary, racism is the theory that distinctive human characteristics and abilities are determined by race. The same dictionary termed racism uh, a synonym of racialism, which means the belief in the superiority of a particular race. That, you see what I'm saying? All right, so racism, according to uh, the dictionary definition of racism, is that it, it is the belief in the superiority of a particular race. Remember, why did God give you race? Why did God give us ethnicity? For his glory. Racism is this, assuming the superiority of a particular race. Follow where I'm going. So at its core, what is racism? Racism is the assumption that someone is lesser than because of their ethnicity or skin color. Let's take that one step deeper. Racism is a means by which man seeks to glorify himself by setting himself apart from other people. You see that? That's what racism is. It is assuming that one person is lesser than yourself because of their ethnicity. So what you're doing is you're using your ethnicity as a way to elevate and glorify yourself. Here's the question. Why did God give you your ethnicity? To glorify him. You see where we're going? So why is racism sinful? Racism is a pride issue that takes what was meant for God's glory and spends it for her own. That is why it is sinful. It is taking what God gave us to use for himself and abusing it for ourselves. It's like this. It's like, you know, uh, if my dad, there's been times when I was younger, my dad would maybe give me his credit card so I can go to the store and buy some, like, buy some groceries or whatever. 
It would be like me taking that credit card. Now, yes, you gave this to me for the groceries. Got it. And then going, picking up my girlfriend and taking her to a movie. And I get back with no groceries. Give my dad the card back. I'm like, thanks, champ. See you later. My dad would be furious with me. Why? He goes, because that's not why I gave you that. Because here's something we have to understand, too, is that a lot of us, when we think of our race or ethnicity, it's almost something that we feel shame over. It's something like, I'm not like you, so I, I, feel, I feel distant, I feel divided, I feel like I'm not worthy of this, or I feel like I need to find people who are like me. No, look, God gave you that for his glory. Use it. Glorify him with it. Reflect his image back to him. And when we say that somebody is lesser than or because of their race, what we're doing is we're using race to elevate ourselves rather than elevate God. And what we have done is we have made ourselves the center of the story. Bang. Sin. Let's go Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. This is probably one of the most commonly quoted verses when it comes to this topic. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and before living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne of God, and they worshipped, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. See, in this passage, John is getting a vision into heaven. You know, heaven where God's design is restored, right? Where God's original design for eternity and for humanity is restored, where there is no more sin, where God's design is fully implemented for eternity. And notice what still exists. Notice what still exists. What does John see? He says he sees people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, and every nation. What you see is that our ethnicities do not go away in heaven. They don't go away in heaven. What we see is that our ethnicities were intentionally given to us for God's glory. However, when we begin to view our race and ethnicity as a means to glorify and elevate ourselves rather than elevate and glorify God, we are directly going against God's will and God's design for us. Do you see what I'm going with that? Anytime we sin and go against God's design, people get hurt. And racism is sinful and evil. I also want to emphasize something. That racism, being racist, is not the same thing as being offensive. Racism is offensive. I think we can all agree with that, right? Racism is offensive. But somebody unintentionally offending someone does not mean they are a racist. You see where I'm going with that? And why do I emphasize that? Why do I, because here's what our society has taught us to do. If somebody offends someone, then it's safe to put the label of racist on them. And they are an outcast to society whether they meant to do that or not. Now, again, what I'm trying to say, racism, intentional racism is evil and it is sinful. And here's the thing, offending someone can even be sinful. But for us to slap the label of racist on every single person that offends us would be wrong as well. 
especially when those people are fellow brothers and sisters in the church. There are many people who say things that are unintentional and have damaging impacts. In these situations, what should we do? We should seek to be peacemakers and show grace. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins and their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of yours. See, someone who has been given, see, someone who has been forgiven by Christ cannot withhold forgiveness from others. See that? And this isn't just racism, this is anything. If you have been forgiven by Jesus, you have no right to hold forgiveness back from anyone else. Because I promise you, no one has offended you as much as you've offended Jesus. No one's offended me as much as I've offended Jesus. See, now while our race and our ethnicity is a way that God has designed us to give him glory, it's important that we understand that it is not our primary identity. Okay? You are not white before you're a Christian. You are not black before you're a Christian. You are not Hispanic or Latino before you're a Christian. You are a Christian before you are anything. You are a Christian before you are anything else. And that is what Paul means when he's writing to the church in Galatia. Right? He's writing uh, the book of he's writing the letter to the Galatians amidst a lot of actual racial tensions within the church. And this is what he says. He goes, for in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is not saying, hey, you're no longer a dude. What this is saying is you are a Christian before you are anything. And when we allow our ethnicities to be something that we have elevated over our identity in Christ, that is sinful and wrong. You are a Christian before you are anything. Here's the thing. Other Christians, they are also a Christian before they are anything. They are a Christian before anything. You must first see yourself primarily as a child of God before you see yourself as anything else. Likewise, you must see other Christians the same way. So now we see what now we see okay God's design for ethnicity now we see okay why racism is evil or why it is sinful But then we have so there's there's two parts to this sermon right there's racism and there's social justice There's racism and there's social justice now we have to see what is the relationship between a Christian and the social justice movement Now I want us to go back to Genesis 127 Go back to Genesis 127. What we see here is that we are created in the image of God. You guys follow that? We're created in the image of God. How many of you have ever heard that we were made in the image of God? You ever heard that? Okay, cool. Now, don't raise your hands, please. But how many of you have any idea what that means? Right? I mean, we hear it all the time. You're made in the image of God. You're like, cool. Right? Like, what does that mean? Does that mean like God is like looks like me? I mean, uh, well, if like if 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 I got somebody over here that looks nothing like me, then and we're both made in the image of God, then how does that work? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And I think primarily what we're talking about here is that when God created us, there are certain attributes that He has that He shares with us. There are certain attributes that you have that you have because God also has them and you were made in his image. Theologians will call this communicable attributes. 
If you were with us for our Back to the Basics series uh, almost a year ago, you probably remember uh, me talking about this, right? So there's something called communicable attributes. And what this, so let me give you an example, right? God is loving, right? God loves. You are made in the image of God, so guess what? You also love, right? Also, another thing, God gets angry. As being made in the image of God, we also get angry. God, fill in the blank, right? God is love, so we can love. God desires companionship, so we also desire companionship. We can go down the list of this, right? But here's the thing. What is the difference between your love and God's love? Then there are attributes that God does not share with us. And these are called incommunicable attributes. All right? So let me give you an example of those. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. God is outside of time. He existed before time, and he will exist after time. He holds time in his hands. So you and I do not. God is omnipotent. That means he can do anything he wants to do. He is all-powerful. God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere. So now, let's apply that to his love. See, you and I love, and it's very limited. But here's the thing. God loves, and God knows everything about you, and he still loves you because he's omniscient. God is omnipotent. He can do anything he wants, but he chooses to love you. God loved you before you even existed, and he will love you long after you die. Now what we see is when you combine those unshared attributes with the shared attributes, that takes God's love, and it moves it to a different level. And in after, because we are made in the image of God, one of these attributes that we share is a desire for justice. See, Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Isaiah 61, 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Romans 12, 18 through 19. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what do we see? Is that God is a God who is just and he pursues justice. And because we are made in the image of God, we also desire justice. We also pursue justice. And here's the thing. Biblical reference to the word, excuse me, biblical reference to the word justice means to make right. So when we're talking about justice from a biblical standpoint, what we're saying is it is to make right. So how do you enact justice on evil? You punish it and you destroy it and remove it. This is what Christians desire, is that we desire to see evil punished and evil destroyed, don't we? Yes, we do. Which is interesting, because according to the word, we know that we are sinful and we are evil. So we want evil destroyed and evil punished, but we don't want ourselves to be destroyed and punished. And this is where the gospel comes into play, right? Because what does God do? Is that God destroyed your evil without destroying you. Which is amazing, right? And that's incredible. So as Christians, we know that we should pursue justice. We should see and desire for justice and evil, evil to be punished and destroyed in God's justice. James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
And you're like, what does that have to do with justice? See, orphans and widows in the first century were some of the most vulnerable people in the entire world. See, women back then, not because of religious reasons, but just society and culture, they didn't have a ton of access to education. So they really, the, the husband was the one that supplied everything for them. And when their husband died, then they would rely on their sons. But if they didn't have any kids, they had no one. They had no one to provide for them. So likewise, orphans back then had no one to provide for them. No one, because here's the thing, parents were the ones who taught their kids. And if you grow up without parents, no one to teach you, you have no one to teach you, therefore you can't provide for yourself and you have nothing. And what James is saying here is that what we're called to do as Christians is to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. To seek justice for those who can't seek justice for themselves. To fight for those who can't fight for themselves. They were helpless, and as Christians, we are commanded to defend those who cannot defend themselves. As Christians, we should be on the front lines of fighting against injustices when we see it. You cannot claim to be a Christian and watch injustice happen and then ignore it. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're kind of thinking, like, all right, well, like, where is he going with this? Because many of us know this. We know that we, that we should seek justice. So when we see a phrase like social justice, we're very quick to jump on it because it seems like that's the Christ-like thing to do, right? That's the Christ-like thing to do is to seek justice for all people in our society, social justice. But here's the problem. While we have a godly desire of justice because we are made in his image, we are also sinful people. So what we do is we rebel against God and we are sinners. And here's what you have. You have someone with innate God-given desires due to being made in his image. However, that person is hopelessly lost and undone due to their sinfulness. What happens next is inevitable. We often pursue godly things in sinful ways. You see where I'm going? Oftentimes we seek godly things in sinful ways. This is the case with so many things in our world today. Let's just think of sex. Sex is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. It is not evil. Sex is a good thing that is given to, to mankind. And here's the thing is that we desire this thing that is a gift from God. However, we're sinners and we seek to fulfill that desire in sinful ways. Thus, we have problems. See, the desire for justice is not wrong. But when we pursue justice in sinful ways, then we have problems. So why do I bring this up? Why do I bring this up? Because we need to ask ourselves, does social justice, as defined in our culture, align with biblical justice? That's what we need to find out. Because as Christians, we know racism is wrong. We should actively fight against racism. We should actively fight for justice for all people in our society. But here's the thing. We can't just allow the culture to define what the mission of the church is. We know that we should fight for justice, but we need to allow the word of God to define justice, not what our culture defines as justice. So in order for us to do this, let's understand a little bit of the history of social justice. I am flying through this bad boy, okay? See, without getting into too much history, and some of this, you're like, what? Some of this, a lot of this comes from study and reading. Uh, I encourage you guys to listen to, um, go on YouTube and type in Vodi Bauckham, uh, V-O-D-D-I-E-B-A-U-C-H-A. M, I think is how you spell it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I guess. Right? Vodi Bauckham is um, 
is, is a pastor, and he has incredible uh, sermons on this topic. He also has a book that came out recently called Fault Lines, uh, which is really good, so I've been reading that. Um, but also, a lot of this stuff is stuff that I studied in college, being a psychology major, right? So I, I learned a lot about this stuff. So when we talk about social justice, here's what we need to understand. So sociologists have debated over an idea called conflict theory. And conflict theory, and some of you are like, what does this have to do with Jesus? Hang with me, okay? Conflict theory states the following, that social inequality of power and resources will inevitably occur because of differing interests and values between groups. So what this is saying is that there is a limited number of resources and there will be inequality because there is a large large number of groups fighting for a limited number of resources. This idea would later be emphasized by a man named Karl Marx and others. This line of thought would be coined the Frankfurt School, and it would continue these ideas. And out of this idea came the belief in something called critical theory or critical social theory. Critical social theory focuses on power and domination in a society, and these ideas would later focus on, the pr- on this premise. Listen to this. This is what, this is what conflict theory and, and critical social theory believes. It says these are the cat- there's, that there are two categories in society, the oppressors and the oppressed. And if those in the oppressed category lack anything, it is because the people in the oppressor category have created a system that keeps them from being able to go further than where they currently are. This is not something that is new. This is something that was over 100 years old. And the purpose of critical theory is to tear down these establishments that allow for oppression to thrive. By identifying the groups that are within the oppressor category, you can seek to change and create equity for all people. All of this information can be found easily through research and also in your textbooks most likely. So this now leads us to the social justice that we know today. Let me give you the definition of social justice. This is according to the Oxford English Dictionary. It says, fair treatment of all people, sounds good, in a society, including respect for the rights of minorities and equitable distribution of resources among members of a community. Now, notice that word equity, okay? Now, there's a massive difference between equity and equality. Let me give you an example. So equality is about opportunity and fairness. Everyone has the same opportunities and the same levels of fairness. Now, equity, this is what equity is. is so let me give you an equity is about even and equal outcomes, Okay, let me give you an example, right? Let's say I've got Bob, and he's got 50 bucks. Let's say I've got Sally, and she's got 20 bucks. Equality is I say, Bob and Sally, I'm feeling very generous. Bob, here's $100. Sally, here's $100. Okay? So now Bob has $150. Sally has $120. Now, this is equity. Bob, I'm feeling very generous today. Here's 50 bucks. Sally, I'm feeling very generous today. Here's 80 bucks. Now, they both have $100. Okay, see, what you see is they sound very similar, but they're very two totally different things. And what we're seeing is that the object and the goal is it's, it's based on the outcome. It's not how you get to the outcome. It's the outcome. Are the outcomes even? Okay, and this is what our society is striving for, and this is what the modern definition of social justice is. So what does this mean? It means that according to social justice theory, wherever there is not equity, Wherever, which means wherever there is some sort of, you know, it's not equal outcomes, there is injustice, and due to this, there is some sort of oppression. You see, where, you see what I mean? That is what is going on today. So now, according to our society today, these are the groups that are considered to be oppressors. 
And again, I'm not getting political. I'm, I'm sharing with you this is what's being taught today. And may, many of you probably believe this. And I'm not arguing th- this way or another way. I'm just sharing this is what we as Christians, we have to know what we're talking about. Something that's incredibly frustrating to me is when I talk like sports and somebody does not know sports and they pretend like they do. Right? Like, I'm okay if you don't understand sports. Just don't act like you do. Right? I'll be like, hey, did you see that football game the other night? They're like, I know. Did you see that guy's home run? It was crazy. It's like, no. No, I did not see that. Right? And here, as Christians, what happens is we sound extremely ignorant. We sound extremely ignorant because we try to talk about things that we don't understand. So these are the groups that are part of the oppressor category, whether you are racist or not. White, healthy, heterosexual, able-bodied Christian men. Now, that is what our society has deemed. Then this is where you get, what, white privilege, and then male privilege, and then you have heterosexual privilege, and then you have Christian privilege. And this leads to something called intersectionality, which means by dividing people up into groups, here's what you have. So if a white... If a white, wealthy, heterosexual, and able-bodied Christian man is the epitome of, of privilege, then if you are a black, wealthy, heterosexual, and able-bodied Christian man, then you are oppressed. Now, if you are a black, poor, heterosexual, and able-bodied Christian man, you are, even, you are doubly oppressed. If you are a black, poor, homosexual, and able-bodied Christian man, then... You, then you are oppressed. Now, if you are a black, poor, homosexual, uh, handicapped Christian man, then you are more oppressed. If you are a black, poor, homosexual, handicapped Buddhist woman, you are the epitome of oppressed. Whether, and here's the thing, is that what we have done is we have divided people into categories and we're slapping labels on people based off of what? Based off what we see. Based off what we see. Not based off who they are. Based off what we see. And we label people. This is also what, this is something that we need to understand. This is what is going on in our culture today. And what happens is this leads organizations because you have people, places like Harvard and Yale that are currently being sued. You want to know why they're being sued? Is they're being sued because they have a large number of Asian American students that are accepted into their schools. So what they've been doing is using uh, ethnicity as a way of rejecting people whether they qualify or not for their school. Why? Because they see that they have a large number of this group, so in order to have equity, they have made it more difficult for this group so that it will be even. Let me ask you, is that justice? No. It is not justice. It's not fair. It's not justice. It is not Christ-like. To divide people into groups and to decide and to determine, you get this, you get this, you get this. You know why? It's because we were not created to be divided. Is biblical ju- is social justice biblical justice? Quick answer: No. No. What we have done is we have seen the term justice, which we should pursue. And we have allowed the, the world to define it and say, and we just say, hey, world, enlist me where you want me. That is not what we are called to be as Christians. 
You see, the problem, one of the key factors of social justice, as defined by our culture, is dividing up people on the basis of race and ethnicity, which is the opposite of what we are called to be in the church. Go back to that story, that revelation. What? I saw people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We have now allowed the division to leak into the church. Why? Because we're pursuing what we think is the right thing. And in order to pursue it the way that our culture has defined it, we have to divide ourselves. And what we've done is we've allowed this division to leak into the church. And now what you have is you have churches that are falling apart. I have one church in my mind right now that is basically doesn't exist anymore because of this. And it happened like almost overnight. God's will is not for his people to be divided. In fact, scripture actually says this. Listen to this. Proverbs 6, 19, uh, 6 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven things that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and listen to this, and one who sows discord or division among brothers. The Bible rarely says that God hates anything, but you know what it says he does hate? It says he hates division amongst Christians. Do you see that last part? That he hates division within the church. Jesus' prayer in John 17, before he was arrested, he's about to be crucified and have the full wrath of God poured onto him. Do you know what his prayer was? Let's go to it. Look, I got no shame. John 17. John 17. This is Jesus' dying prayer. His last, this is his, his dying prayer. John 17. He's, talk, he's praying, and I'm just going to pick up. I'm going to pick up in verse 16. He says, they are not of this world. Talking about his disciples, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself and they also may be sanctified in the truth. Now, follow this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is he talking about there? He's talking about us. He's saying, I'm not just praying for my disciples. I'm praying for those who will believe in me because of the teachings of my disciples. And here, we are where we are today because of the teachings of the disciples. So this is what Jesus' prayer for you is, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see that? That the unity of the church was Jesus' last prayer for his people. And why? Because when the church is unified, it shows a full representation of who Christ is. That's what he says, right? I wish that they would be unified. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. You want to know why people reject the message of the gospel? It's because the church is so divided. Jesus gives the answer right here. If you want people to be saved, then stop dividing the church based off of race, based off of social status, based off of money, and act like we are who we actually are.
We have allowed the world to define for us the mission of the church. And it's ridiculous. We don't label ourselves. We are Christians before we are anything. I am married to a Puerto Rican woman. And 90% of the time, I forget that we are an interracial couple. Until I go to her mom's house, and they got that Spanish music blaring, and I smell those spices, and I'm like, mmm, boricua, right? 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 I mean, here's the thing, is that you don't even realize it. Why? Because we love each other for who we are and who we are in Christ. Not because of our skin color or our ethnicity. So here's the question. This is what I'm going to end with. How do we pursue justice in our society? If we are called to pursue justice, if we are called to pursue the justice and to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves, if we see injustice in our world today, which it's not hard to see, how do we pursue justice? If not in the ways that the world has given to us, how do we do it based off what Scripture says? Remember, we need to understand, remember why racism is a sin. It is a sin because it is a deviation from God's design of how our ethnicities were intended to reflect God's glory. It's a pride problem. Racism is a heart issue. And here's the thing. There's no law to police the heart. You can't police the heart. What does is, what is Jeremiah says is that the heart is wicked above all things. It is a restless evil. You can't police the heart, but you know what you can do? You can be given a new heart. You want to know what the solution to racism is? It's the gospel. Because it's only when you see yourself as just as sinful as someone else that looks nothing like you. And the same blood that was shed for you is the same blood that was shed for them. Here's something you need to know. I, th- I really want you to hear this. You have more in common with a Christian in Indonesia than the non-Christian that lives next door. You have more in common with the Christian in Indonesia that doesn't speak the same language as you, that doesn't look like you, that doesn't anything like you, than you do the non-Christian that lives next door that maybe is your best friend. Because we are united by something that is so much stronger than just skin color. We're united by the blood of Christ. I was purchased by the same thing you were purchased by. If you want to cure racism, here's the thing. You're not going to eliminate racism in the whole world. Want to know why? Because we live in a fallen and broken world. But you know what? There is coming a day where racism will be destroyed and racism will be taken care of. And that's the day when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. And until then, you want as many people to come and join you as possible. And we usher in God's kingdom by preaching the gospel. Not critical race theory. Not blank, blank, blank. We preach the gospel. What does Paul say? We preach Christ crucified. You want to see a difference? That's where the difference is going to be. So we need to do a few things. We need to get off of our high horse. We need to get off of our prideful, our prideful pedestals that we've put ourselves on. And we need to preach the gospel to people. Tell them that Jesus loves them. And here's the thing. When you understand how much Jesus loves them and how much Jesus loves you, you have no room for racism. You have no room for racism. 
What does 1 John say? It says, if anyone claims to love God but they hate their brother, that person is a liar. It says, how can they love God whom they have not seen and hate their brother who they have seen? What does that mean? It means that if somebody is truly saved, racism is fixed. You can't hate somebody if you love God. And this is what I want you guys to understand is that this world is going to tell you all these different solutions to your problems. Here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. And we're so quick to jump on it. But look at the church, not necessarily central. Look at the church in America. Look how divided it is. You want to know the most divided, you want to know the most segregated moment in America is Sunday morning church. You got white church, you got black church, you got Hispanic church, you got whatever church. Why is that? Because we've allowed the culture to define who we can and can't be with. And who we are and are not like. That's wrong. God did not come just to die for the white people or the black people or the Hispanic people. He had to die for everybody. We need to take that message to the world. And here's the thing. The church is never going to believe in Christ until the church starts to act like Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the fact that, God, that we're not perfect, but you are. And God, we all have struggles. We all have maybe internal biases and, 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 and things. But Father, I ask that you would just cleanse us from this. Father, forgive us of our sins. God, help us to see that all people are made in your image and all people have the opportunity to be saved, that all people are loved by you. God, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We have no time to compare ourselves to anyone else when we're too busy looking at you. God, I hope... I pray that you would help us to not allow the world to define our mission, but we allow you to define our mission. And that, Father, we be faithful with what you've given us. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. God, I ask that you would speak to them, Father. I hope that tonight was helpful. And, God, whatever it is, Father, as we leave this place, I ask that we give you all the honor and the glory. And, Father, as we share your gospel, that, Father, that people would not see us or our skin color or ethnicity, but, Father, that they would see you and your glory. Father, I thank you I praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 